Hey everyone, before we start the episode, I wanted to share some exciting news. We have a YouTube channel now. We started posting our episodes with some cool images and videos, so you should definitely go check it out. You can find us at On Wildlife Podcast, and don't forget to subscribe. Now let's get into the episode. Hello, welcome to On Wildlife. I'm your host, Alex Ray. On this podcast, we bring the wild to you. We take you on a journey into the life of a different animal every week, and I guarantee you you're going to come out of here knowing more about your favorite animal than you did before. We have another awesome guest on this week's episode, and you really don't want to miss this interview. I got to talk with Emma Pereira, who is the communications manager at Save the Rhino. So get ready, because we're heading to Africa and Asia to talk about one of the largest land animals on Earth, the rhino. There are five different species of rhinoceros, some living in Africa and others living in Asia. Some of their closest relatives are actually horses and zebras because there's something called odd-toed undulates. This means that when they're standing, they put most of their weight on one toe, while even-toed undulates put most of their weight on two toes. Of course, we can't talk about rhinos without talking about their horns, but you'll have to wait for my interview with Emma because she has a lot of really cool stuff to say. And they live in a few different types of habitats, some of which include forests and the savanna. The largest species is the Indian rhino, also called the greater one-horned rhino. And it weighs in at around 6,000 pounds and stands at over 6 feet tall. Being that large is a nice advantage to have when you may have to encounter some of the largest predators on earth, like lions. But just because they're big doesn't mean they're slow. They can reach speeds over 30 miles per hour. And some species can live for over 50 years in the wild, which is pretty amazing. Because they're so big, like I said before, rhinos have to eat a lot of food. And even though they're these huge creatures, they're herbivores. Depending on the species, they like grass, shrubs, legumes, and leaves from trees. And their teeth differ depending on the species because of differences in their diet. Because they mainly eat vegetation, their teeth are relatively flat so that they can grind up their food. But some species have sharp incisors, which they use to shred through their food. While most rhinos fight with their horns, the Indian rhino actually uses its sharp teeth to fight. If humans tried to eat what rhinos eat, we wouldn't be able to digest it. They have special bacteria in their guts that helps break down all those plants. And on top of all that, They have huge colons that help with their digestion. If you've ever watched a rhino grazing for food, you may have noticed that there's usually a bird hanging around on the rhino's back. Well, this is most likely an oxpecker bird, which has a symbiotic relationship with rhinos and some other large animals in that habitat. The birds stand on the backs of the rhinos and eat any bugs off because, as you can probably tell, they can't reach back there themselves. So the birds get a nice meal and the rhino gets cleaned of any parasites. This relationship where both species benefit is called mutualism. But some scientists are starting to discover that the oxpecker birds might be parasites themselves. This is because these birds don't only like to eat bugs, they also like to eat blood. So what they'll do is they'll eat the blood from a wound that a rhino has 
except it'll keep pecking at it so that the bleeding doesn't ever stop. Pretty creepy. Okay, we're going to take a break. And when we get back, you'll get to hear my interview with Emma Pereira, who knows all about these huge creatures. Who's ready for another notable figure in science? This week, I'm recognizing Charles H. Turner, who is well known for his research on insects. He discovered that some insects have the ability to hear and also figured out that bees have an idea of time and can change their behavior based on what they've learned. He's responsible for a lot of the things that we know about insects today. If you want to learn more about Charles H. Turner or this series, you can check out onwildlife.org. Okay, we're back. Here's my interview with Emma. Hi, Emma. How are you? Hi. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. And I'm so excited to talk about rhinos. Me too. Always. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, first, can you just tell us about yourself and how you became interested in rhinos? Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, my name is Emma. Um, I work for Save the Rhino International um, and I've been at Save the Rhino for just under three years now. Um, And I mean, everyone loves rhinos. I don't think I've ever met someone who doesn't like them, but um, (laughs) I'm sure there's some people out there that don't. Um, But really why, um, let's start with how I got into it, I guess. I did actually a marine biology degree at university um, in the UK and I did that degree and I do love the ocean and marine animals, um, but I just kind of found my way working a little bit more terrestrially um, in charities in London. And um, Save the Rhino has always had a special place in my heart because I don't know if you guys or any of your listeners will have seen our rhino costumes, um, but we have this incredible bunch of rhino costumes and they run in the London Marathon every year. Well, people obviously run in them Um, and across the globe, really. But I love running. And um, so from a young, young age, I used to watch the London Marathon and me and my mum would kind of stare at the screen and be like, where are the rhinos? And <laughs> it's a really stupid story, but actually it's one that a lot of people say to us. Um, so I kind of always wanted to work for Save the Rhino. And um, yeah, three years ago, I got the opportunity to apply. And, and yeah, here we are today. So I'm communications manager at Save the Rhino now. And um, yeah, it's brilliant. I love it. That's so awesome. And I've seen the pictures of the rhinos. Everybody should definitely go check them out. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> definitely, um, and if you want to run, then yeah, just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you talked a little bit about uh, Save the Rhinos. You're the communications manager there. So can you uh, just tell me about like their mission and, and what you do there specifically? Yeah, sure. So um, our mission at Save the Rhino is, I mean, exactly how we say our name. Um, (laughs) We are around to save all five species of rhino. And our vision, if you'd like, is for all five species to thrive in the wild for the future. Um, So at the moment, unfortunately, that's not right. It's not quite the case. Uh Um, But yeah, that's what we plan to do. So every day we work with partners across the world to um, raise more money, raise more awareness, and then on the ground to make sure that projects are in place so that they actually can, you know, increase in number, um, they can be protected from the threats that they face, and that the people protecting them are supported as well, because that's also crucial. Um, so that's that kind of the, is the gist of what we do. Um, we're quite we're quite fundraising focused because our office is based in the UK. Um, so that's where all of our team works. But yeah, as I said, we have partners across the world. Um, my job as communications manager is to, 
I guess, talk about rhinos all day long, um, which is brilliant. Um, but more specifically to manage our website, to manage our social media, to talk to um, journalists and the public um, and to really look at what we're saying, how we're saying it. And I guess to communicate more with the with the world about what we do. Um, and that can be in terms of how rhinos are doing and raising awareness from a species focus and a kind of conservation side, but also trying to drive a bit more engagement online um, and, you know, in printed publications as well. We have an annual magazine, so um, I manage that. And yeah, lots of stuff, but all good. And I, I love talking to people about about this stuff. So um, I could probably go on forever, but I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's great. And you guys are doing really important work because rhinos are are facing a lot of issues right now. And we'll, we'll talk about that later on uh, yeah. in the interview. But um, so let's just get into rhinos. So they're probably best known for their huge horn above their nose. So what what is that actually made out of and, and what do they use it for? So, okay, so five rhino species, three of them have um, two horns, actually, and two of them just have the one, um, imaginatively named the greater one-horned rhino and sometimes the lesser one-horned rhino. <laughs> um, but yeah, their horns um, across all five species are structurally, if you'd like, um, the kind of the same thing. So they're all um, made up of the keratin, keratin of the protein, sorry. So you also find that in our nails, our fingernails and our hair. Um, and it's it's kind of similar to like a horse's hoof structure um, or a turtle's beak even. Um, and the reason that they're threatened is mostly because of that horn, because it is prized in some cultures, um, historic, historically even as traditional medicine. Um, but more recently in the last kind of decade and a little bit before that, um, as a, an ornamental piece, um, something that is really, I guess, prized and shown as something to show someone's wealth and status. Um, so that's the main reason that they're threatened, but it's also why people remember them. As you said, that's the feature of a rhino that everyone knows about. And, you know, the difference between a rhino and a hippo, most people are like, well, yeah, a rhino has a horn and a hippo <laughs> doesn't. Um, so that's that's kind of why. Um, in terms of how they use them, um, it's a bit different for a couple of different species, but sometimes it can just be they sort of move things out of the way with it. So black rhino, their browsers, they're trying to find twigs and, and little leaves and things. And actually, they probably use their horn a little bit to move some bushes around. But re really, um, they use them for fighting a bit more than people realise um, and for kind of pushing off, I guess, any predators that might be trying to attack their young or themselves if they're a little bit smaller. Um, so it's a bit different. I have also heard of um, one species of rhino, the greater one horn. I've heard a story that they've used it kind of to dig and to scratch. Um, I don't know how true that is, but yeah, there are a few different uses. Um, definitely not um, not in the ways that people often think about them. Um, but yeah, they do use them. So it's good to know that they're not just there as a feature that we all love. <laughs> That's really cool. And you never think about a rhino because they're so big having to fight off some predators. But yeah, there's some some pretty big predators in uh, where they live, too. So, <laughs> oh, gosh, absolutely. I mean, you have to think about a mum protecting its young and um, and they definitely do fight off a few things. There are some I mean, I couldn't name the amount of videos you have online of people filming rhinos when they're, you know, fighting off lions or hyenas or something yeah. else. Um, yeah, <laughs> do look them up if anyone's interested yeah that's really cool and so are, are rhinos uh social animals like elephants or are they more solitary 
Um, a bit of a mix of both. Um, historically, people thought that one species, the black rhino in particular, was a really solitary animal, mainly because, to be honest, they're quite rare and not a lot of people see them all the time. Um, but when they were seen, they were often seen on their own. Um, and they are more territorial than other species in Africa, at least the other species in Africa. Um, but actually, there was some footage that came out just a few years ago um, of like a nighttime camera trap. And um, there were loads of black rhino around and they were all sniffing each other. And, you know, it was kind of a moment when everyone realised they don't just live on their own and exist in their own little bubble. They do actually socialise a little, um, which is quite nice. Um, but generally, if, you know, if someone was lucky enough to go on a safari and, and see a rhino in its natural habitat, then a black rhino most of the time is going to be on its own during the day. Um, white rhino is a little bit different. So they do actually tend to hang around with other, other rhino friends. Um, and they're often more seen on like open plains which is why they tend to be seen a bit more by people when they're out on those sorts of game drives. Um, in Asia, the story is a little bit different. So again, you've got greater one-horned rhinos. The males are a bit territorial, but you might see a couple of females together. It's Yeah, it's kind of rare. Um, the other two species, there are so few of them that, to be completely honest, I'm not sure how sociable they are or aren't. <laughs> if there were loads more, maybe we would know. Um, but the Sumatran rhino in particular... Um, they really struggle to find each other to mate, which is one of the reasons that they're so threatened at the moment. So um, they actually end up singing to each other um, to kind of get their voices heard across the rainforest and try and find a, a friend. Um, so I wonder how sociable they normally are, because I think that's a that's a habit that I would imagine only happens when they live quite solid on their own. You know, they're a solitary animal. So, yeah, it's a bit of a mix. Yeah, that's really really interesting and the singing uh i never knew knew that and going off of that so you mentioned that do they have uh other ways of communicating with each other yes yeah, so sumatran rhinos are as far as i'm aware alone in that singing side so rhinos do communicate with kind of little squeaks um that most people would never know was a rhino because it's it's a bit of a softer tone i guess than you might imagine <laughs> Um, we have an excellent video actually of Sumatran rhino and you can hear the recording of this Sumatran rhino singing in Indonesia. Um, and actually she's a, she's one that is, um, she lives within the Sumatran rhino sanctuary and they actually, um, they have called her lovingly Adele after her singing voice. Um, her <laughs> actual name is Delilah, but the keepers often, often refer to her as Adele, which is just the sweetest story. Um, but yeah, in terms of other rhino species, um, they don't really communicate in the same way. So I'm sure there would be little sort of grunts and squeaks if they were near each other. But in a sort of wider um, aspect, I guess, they're, they're more t communicating um, in terms of their territory and marking their scent in places. So some of that might be urine marks when they scratch their feet after they've urinated. And then, you know, obviously the smell is going to be transferred if another rhino comes across to that area. Um, and rhinos also have, um, they develop things called middens, which are basically just piles of dung. So <laughs> massive pile of rhino poo. Um, and again, it's a territory thing. So if another rhino comes across that place, then they know if it's a male or a female or a family. Um, and I would imagine, especially for males, they're, they're kind of noticing that. And then it's the boundaries of where they, they you know, do or don't want to, to cross <laughs> into another one's territory. <laughs> Oh, wow. So I'm assuming they must have really good senses of smell then. Very, very good senses of smell. Yeah. So um, interesting fact about rhinos, actually, I was looking about looking at this a little bit more the other day, but they they can't see very well. Um, and people often think that they were born blind. They're not actually born blind. They just don't really have a very good sense of eyesight. Um, so if you ever 
are in the field with a rhino, then actually it's not necessarily about how close you are from them seeing you perspective, but they can really smell you and they can really hear as well. Um, so if anyone was ever tracking a rhino, then you'll often hear people making sure that you're upwind or downwind uh-huh. even rather than wind. Um, so that pe- the rhino isn't going to sense that you're there and then perhaps make a dash for it. Um, but yeah, their sense of their eyesight isn't, isn't that great. So I think you're like, you know, around 60 foot and they're sort of blurry vision and not got a clue who you are. <laughs> That's so interesting. Um, and they're also really huge, like we talked about before. So they, they must eat a lot of food. So what, yeah. what do they eat and how much do they eat in a day? Um, well, I'm sure that different rhinos would eat different things, but <laughs> in terms of amounts, like all of us, um, but in general, um, they have different grazing habits. They have different, they have different foods that they like for different species, which I guess would make sense from a natural range perspective. Um, so white rhinos, they have quite a wide mouth. Um, there is a bit of a myth around that forming their name as a white rhino, which isn't quite true, but they have a wide mouth because it helps them to graze on grasslands, basically. So you'll see them with their heads down and they're taking, you know, big mouthfuls of grass and much like a horse um, or a donkey or a zebra might do. Um, black rhinos. So both of these species are in Africa. Black rhinos are different. They have quite a pointy nose. Um, so there are some really cute photos of rhinos with their nose up in the air trying to trying to grab a branch. And it will generally be a black rhino doing that. So it's a bit of a triangular shape to their nose. And that helps that species to grab little leaves, grab little twigs, twist them off the branches. Um, yeah, they're browsers, basically. So they're trying to find those acacia trees and nibble off of things rather than just eat the grass that's on the floor. Um, so you can tend to tell the difference between those two species, just if one's head's down or one's head's up, and then you can see if their lips are the sort of different shape. Um, in Asia, um, they tend to all have a bit more of a pointed nose, um, and they all kind of a bit more browser. The, um, the Sumatran rhino in particular, they live in the in the forest in Indonesia, in the rainforest, and they will try and find little fruits um, and leaves and twigs. So, um, yeah, anything, again, they can get their hands on. And, and one of the marks, actually, because they're so rare, it's really hard for the, the rangers to actually try and find them. Um, so one of the marks that they often use to track Sumatran rhinos and Java rhinos is a twisted branch because they know that that rhino has been trying to eat food off of that tree. So there was a there's a kind of noted down it's recorded and that was a rhino was here sort of thing at that point <laughs> um and then in terms of how much i mean i've i understand that it's about 10 percent of their body weight and i mean you're talking about huge animals so they can be a the white rhino can be about two tons um but um sumatran rhinos they're the smallest one and they tend to eat uh, about 50 to 60 kilos of plants a day so they're all herbivores um but yeah, Sumatran rhinos, it's a lot of food. And as I said, I mentioned the Sumatran rhino sanctuary. Um, the keepers there have to bring a lot of food into that place to make sure these rhinos have enough for their daily eating habits. And it is, yeah, it's a lot. We've got this incredible picture of um, one of the guys that works there on a motorbike carrying all these branches behind him. And it is just huge. I mean, if you can just imagine basically a tree sitting behind someone on a motorbike it is a lot of food and it was just the daily quota for these rhinos so wow yeah yeah (laughs) i can't even imagine that and it's so uh interesting that their mouth shape kind of uh is adapted to what they eat which is just showing nature at its finest really cool stuff yeah i know it's very interesting and i do love those photos where the rhino's nose is kind of sticking up and it's it's just so shows so much personality black rhinos are, are really cute so. yeah absolutely and i think a lot of people 
think because they're so big that they must be like meat eaters or something like that, but they're they're kind of gentle giants in a way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I do think rhinos have this kind of people think that they're these horrible, mean, angry, huge animals. Um, and actually they're they're most of the time not. I think we've probably got a bit to to blame on that because we've not exactly treated them very well. So understandable if they want to run away from us. Um, but yeah, generally they're they're quite gentle giants and they'll just kind of get on with things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Why are rhinos important to the ecosystems that they live in? Um, so rhinos are what's called an umbrella species. Um, and basically what that means is that by protecting them, um, we're also helping to protect the environment and the wildlife around them. So um, a great example is, I mean, I've already mentioned rhino middens, but you have incredible amounts of insects that need those middens and all of that rhino dung to survive. So it might be a habitat, it might be part of their nutrition, it might be something completely different. Um, but similarly, you have the whole environment. So you're looking at you're quite large places. These are large animals, they need a lot of space. Um, so if you're able to protect that whole area because of this one species, because it's an endangered species, then you're going to protect everything else within it. Um, you know, in Africa and Asia, elephants are often living alongside natural rhino ranges. So you've got that benefit from a big perspective. But yeah, as I said, it can go right down to those sort of small insects. Um, in Asia as well, you've got, you know, tigers that are living in the same place as Sumatra rhinos. Um, heard a great story recently from some of our partners in Indonesia, and they've done a replanting um, project to improve the forest. And actually, one of the first animals that was caught on the camera trap there was a Sumatran tiger, which is wow. kind of strange when you think, you know, how close are people living to these areas? <laughs> um, but that's because I don't live in a place with big predators, so I can yeah. imagine but yeah, the you know hopefully the rhinos will soon come into that same place. So. Yeah, and that's so important, and they're obviously really uh, important or like keystone species to their environment. So every species of rhino is is either endangered or close to being endangered right now. So uh, what are some of the challenges that they're facing right now? I know we talked a little bit about their uh, their horns. Mm. Yeah. So um, as I've said, the five species of rhino and three of those five are actually listed as critically endangered. Um, and what that means is that they are at extremely high extinction, risk of extinction, sorry, in the wild, um, which is a really frightening prospect, to be completely honest, for anyone, let alone someone who obviously, you know, I work in the sector. But um, the reason behind that is because historically there's been a lot of poaching of rhinos and many other animals. Um, and those species that are critically endangered now, you know, they really, really need to be boosting their populations. We need to be doing more, as much as we can, to be honest. Um, and that's because of poaching for their horn, as we said before. Um, it's a sort of prized possession um, in certain places and illegally trafficking that horn from um, source countries, whether that's in Africa or in Indonesia or India and Nepal, um, in through to um, the countries where the demand is highest at the moment, which is China and Vietnam. Um, now poaching is the most urgent and sort of shocking threat that they face but the longer term issues are habitat loss and of course climate change so in Indonesia um, we're looking at not very many animals left of Sumatran and Javan rhinos and what they really need is more space to grow their populations into but you know we've got a lot of deforestation in those places um, often due to overconsumption of 
countries way far away from those ones. Yeah. Uh, and in Africa, the, the same thing is happening because, you know, the protected areas are kind of getting smaller and smaller as um, you know, the human population grows and consumption continues. So we are looking at, yeah, the immediate threat of poaching and the um, longer term effect of habitat loss. So both of those things, they really need our attention at the moment. And that's that's what we're trying to do is save the rhino. Yeah, that that's really sad. And um, like what I've learned from doing this podcast for a while is that habitat loss and climate change are two major issues facing so many different animals. And I think also uh, with the poaching, I, f- I feel like a lot of people don't really think that that happens anymore. Like um, mm. I, I think when you think about like poaching for, for rhino horns or ivory from elephants, you think like the late 1900s or the early 1900s or something, but it's still happening right now and it's an issue. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, thankfully it's going down for rhinos and mm. and I think for elephants as well, but um, but it's still too high. I mean, there's a rhino lost across Africa on average uh, every 12 hours. In wow. the last decade, we've seen 10,000 rhinos poached. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to say this word sustainable because it doesn't seem right when you're talking about animals, but it's really not sustainable for that to yeah. continue. Um, so it, it's just not, it's not something that's going to help any population. If you had sort of, you know, five, 10 animals poached a year, then obviously it's still a problem that you should eliminate, but actually it's generally from a population view, isn't going to affect that, that population or that species to a huge amount, um, unless they're obviously very low at the time. Um, but you're, we're not looking at those numbers. We're actually last year, I think, or 2019, even we were looking at about 750 animals of rhino poached across Africa. So it's still way, way too high. And until we get that under control, um, the problem is that we can't properly face or protect rhinos against the other threats they face, because obviously so much resource needs to go into that urgent 24 hour range of protection. Um, Mm. and, and that's tough. It's not, it's not a good place to be. Yeah, absolutely. So is there anything that the average person can do to help rhinos? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first thing is just what you said about, you know, people often don't think that poaching exists anymore, at least not to the extent that it does. And um, and as you know, and as your listeners will know, it's not just rhinos that are facing that problem, but it's a huge number of animals. Um, and similarly, plants as well. We can't ignore the fact that plants are kind of being illegally traded. Um, but the first thing I would say because of that, we need to raise all of our own awareness. We need to know what's going on in the world, whether it's, you know, right in our back garden or in another place. Um, because before we know anything, we can't do a lot about it. We need to know to care. Um, that's how I, I always think about things. And and secondly, everyone can take individual action. So it might just be talking to family and friends about something that you've learned recently and your new knowledge on a topic like rhino poaching and conservation. Um, it might be that you can take it a step further and say, you know, I'm, I'm really passionate. I'm going to help to end this and I'm going to raise some funding. I'm going to do, you know, an under marathon in rhino costume or a bake <laughs> sale, or I'm going to do a fantastic drawing and sell it online. Um, there are many, many things you can do to fundraise. Um, but similarly, we have a whole community in our membership scheme um, and they're all people passionate about rhino conservation and they want to be, you know, joining up with others that are just the same as them. And and that's a, a lovely community to be part of. So I think sometimes it can just be talking. Sometimes it can be, you know, if you have a spare, a spare bit of change that you're not going to get a coffee today or something, then then that's just as wonderful. That's awesome. And so you've mentioned so many things that people can do and it's, it's not, not too hard to do some of those things. So, um, yeah, I think it's great. And obviously everybody loves rhinos, so we all should want to help them. (laughs) Um, Yeah. That's 
that's my dream anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, so before you go, um, where can we find information about, uh, save the rhino? So our website is the first place to look. Um, I'm not just saying that because I'm biased and look after it, um, but yeah, <laughs> www.savetherhino.org. Um, and of course, we're across all the, the main social media channels as well. So we, um, we often post things on there. We have a, a weekly quiz on Fridays on Instagram. So if anyone's interested in that, I know some people are sick of quizzes through um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, we have that and, um, yeah, we're just, we're just kind of there to, to share what's going on, whether it's a news update. Sometimes, um, I often find recently, especially, um, people just want something to brighten up their newsfeed and a rhino calf can a hundred percent do that for you. So, um, yeah, if anyone's looking for something just to make them smile, then hopefully we can provide a bit of that as well as some more information. That's so great. Well, Emma, I really appreciate you coming on to the podcast. Everyone should absolutely go check out Save the Rhino. Take the quizzes, follow them on Instagram. Um, and thanks for coming on again. Yeah, no worries. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening. Wow, that interview was so informative. And if that didn't make you fall in love with rhinos, I don't know what will. Unfortunately, as Emma was saying, rhinos are facing a whole lot of issues and multiple species are critically endangered. Thankfully, organizations like Save the Rhino are doing amazing work to help them. That's why you should absolutely go on their website and check them out. Along with Save the Rhino, there are other organizations that are also helping rhinos. For example, there's the International Rhino Foundation and Helping Rhinos. Thank you so much for coming on this adventure with me as we explored the world of the rhino. You can find the sources that we used for this podcast and links to organizations that we reference at onwildlife.org. Don't forget to tune in next Wednesday to learn about a new animal. And that's On Wildlife. You've been listening to On Wildlife with Alex Ray, brought to you every Wednesday. 